anyhow, my criteria are return of investment, return on investment. And then the, the really big one, um, no second lien starting out. I don't care how big the returns can be. Stay away. First position liens only. And that means that after the county uh, and the municipalities can take the house back from taxes, it's the mortgage company that usually has that first, what they call the first lien. And that's where you want to be. And that's going to keep yourself um, that and then keeping your numbers, your loan to value and your uh, after repaired values and all those things, keeping those accurate and conservative is what's going to keep you safe. And it's, um, it's going to help you be there to, to live to loan another day. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow, and ultimately created extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug with the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Keith Baker. Now, Keith is a private money lending expert, and he's the host of the Private Lender Podcast, which you can find on iTunes or wherever you podcast. Keith began in the private lending space with his self-directed IRA and quickly developed an appetite for this type of investing and started his company, Asset REI, which focuses on providing owner financing to buyers and properties that are neglected and overlooked by the too big to fail banks. Keith also serves on the board of the oldest nonprofit real estate investment association in Houston, and he is super passionate about helping others overcome self-doubt in order to take control of their financial future by starting to invest in real estate. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible wealth of knowledge and experience. All right, enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Keith. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? I'm doing doing really well. Thanks, Reed, for having me on. Um, it's a, it's an honor to be here, uh, being interviewed on your show. Your yours, uh, investing in the U.S. is one of the the first podcasts I started listening to uh, some time ago. So. The honor is all mine. Thank you. <laughs> well, mate, thank you so much. Uh, I know I was on your podcast a little while ago, 
and it's good to be able to do do the podcast swap. I love I love that when we can you know meet each other and other folks and, and guys and gals who are in the podcasting world and just passionate about providing knowledge to to everyone. So I know you have that in abundance. But before we get into what you do in the nuts and bolts, let's rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first of a dollar as a kid. Uh, first dollar was probably um, pulling weeds out of my neighbor's flower bed. If I can, <laughs> if I can think back. Um, I was fortunate enough to really dislike my parents growing up because their attitude was, if you want something, go get it, do what it takes to go get it. Um, and you know, as a kid, I hated it. Now as an adult, I'm so grateful that they, they did that. Um, but both sides of my family come from a very entrepreneurial, um, space. Um, my, my mother, um, granddaughter of your daughter of sharecroppers actually who uh, owned a, a broom factory made brooms by hand and then, then later a grocery store and then on my dad's side a um my grandfather uh, fell in love with uh, medicine when he was 10 years old and decided he was going to be a doctor and started his own clinic and then owned you know was co-owner of the hospital in small town oklahoma so there's always kind of been that with me in, in that background and then it just you know typical suburban kid mowing grass taking care of plants and dogs while people are on vacation and um, then really got entrepreneurial and started buying bubble gum from the uh, Sam Wholesale Club or Costco, <laughs> taking it to school and selling it for a nickel a piece uh, without the teachers or principals finding out. So that's um, in a nutshell how I, I've always kind of had that little you know hustle side of me, I guess. Well, it, it's interesting you bring up the the pain point of go out and get it right. That I was definitely raised the same way. If you want something, we're not just going to give it to you. Uh, you have to go out and earn it. So I think that is is super important when raising kids. I, I don't have kids personally, but I know as a recipient of that type of attitude, it forced me to be resourceful and learn to roll up the sleeves and, and, and not be afraid of getting your hands dirty, which I think is super important as a young adult, young teenager when you're going through puberty. I know I certainly hated my parents when they're like, go get a summer job and laboring, building pools or doing something that was, you know, backbreaking work. And you're like, yeah, you now know the backbreaking work, get to university, make sure you, you, you do your studies because you don't want to be doing that for your job for the rest of your life. So exactly when I was, you know, it was, it was an expectation for me to go to college. And, uh, you know, I could tell you when I was, uh, you know, I graduated high school, I I couldn't tell you what I wanted to do with my life. I'm 46. I still can't tell you what I want to do with my life, (laughs) but I can sure as hell tell you what I don't want to do with my life (laughs) based on those experiences. So yeah, it was, it was very good in in, in my formation, uh, you know, just personal character and business. I love that about you. And and I guess a lot of people out there, they don't know what to do with their lives. And it's a little bit of a, um, like a, like a, you know, a balloon in the wind, you know, so to speak. And, 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 but it's, it's somewhat poetic because we all are trying to figure it out over time. And, and, and we're told to do, you know, go to school and go to university and get a job and retire at 65. But if we, as humans, we, you know, we have an innate ability to be curious about everything and want more and want to go and, you know, scratch that itch. So I think it is, it is a good, uh, trait to have that's, you know, you're constantly looking for what is that next thing. And, and I know you're really passionate about it. And we will get into that in a little bit, but I want you to, to start by telling the folks about, you know, how you got involved in the private money lending space in and around your self-directed IRA. And what was that pain point when you decided, hey, enough's enough of my job. I want to start taking control of my life. Yeah. Well, um, uh, you know, not knowing what I wanted to do, I, I followed my heart at, at university and I studied uh, German and philosophy. I have a, I have a double major, um, which basically meant I uh, spent 
a lot of years preparing to say, would you like fries with that? Because when I got out of school, nobody was hiring, you know, philosophy uh, students or majors. Uh, so I went into construction, um, you know, cause I, I'd already kind of been into that path. So it just kind of made sense. Like that's the only place I'm really going to make any appreciable money would be in the construction. And then um, fortunately uh, the oil field down here in Texas got, um, got desperate enough. They hired me at Schlumberger and I got to, I got to taste what making real money was about. And uh, of course there, there was a trade-off with that. Yes. I had a beautiful bank account, but my, my lifestyle was, was crap. It was, mm. it was nothing. It was just work, work, work. That was about it. Uh, so when I left the oil field, I came in to the office. I started doing insurance adjusting f- for the oil field. And I had a couple of old 401ks that were just kind of sitting there. And I'm like, I need to do something. It was nagging, nagging me like, you know, idle money doesn't grow. Uh, so I need to do something. And I, I really took it. I'd always been interested in, in sort of real estate. Uh, my grandmother told me buy land. They're not making any more of it. And that's always stuck in my head. Uh, so the construction background, I painted houses in college and whatnot. But when I got to the corporate world where, you know, quote unquote, I made it, um, I, I really got into real estate investing. And so I bought a, a rent house and quickly learned that I'm not a landlord. And I just kind of <laughs> fumbled my way um, into private lending because uh, as an adjuster, we have a bag that's packed by the door at all times because in the oil field, anything can go boom at any time. And it usually goes booms on, uh, boom on a- birthdays, anniversaries, Christmas, and New Year's. So you always got to be ready to move, <laughs> um, you know, sort of quickly. And that, I, I found that that was a, real, a big hindrance in me being an active real estate investor. So the one way I had to sort of be relevant and to provide the community here in Houston with, with anything was, um, you know, I wasn't a wholesaler. I wasn't a flipper. I mean, I was, I was flipping. I was house hacking. You know, my flips take a very long time. I like to move in fix it up, uh, move on. So my first flip was eight years. Um, best investment I ever made, by the way, uh, ROI wise percentage. It was great. Uh, it just took eight years and a flood uh, to get there. But hey, <laughs> it's okay. Um, so I fell into this private lending and then uh, I, so I started, you know, I sought experts out. I, 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 I got a self-directed IRA. I went to all the classes that they gave for free and I, you know, I just stood at the back of the wall. I never, took that first step. And I did this for about two or three years. And, and um, one day I, I got fed up. I said, okay, I, I need to set it and forget it type of investment approach. So I called a hard money lender who walked me through his whole process. I was like, yeah, I'd be happy to take you know, your, your money. You can invest in the fund or you can you know, do the, uh, put your money into the, directly into the deed of trust or the promissory note, you know, however you want to do it. And that was, uh, and I've actually, I was Tom Barry. Um, I've actually interviewed him because I, I, I credit him with, with getting me to that point. I'll never forget that day in my office. I was like, I can do this. And from then on, I, I sought out, uh, I discri- I'm very discriminatory. I look for people with gray hair and lots of experience. Right? <laughs> I don't care what color their skin is, but they want, I got to have gray hair and lots of experience. And sought those people out and began lending and taking that leap of faith from the free classes at the uh, self-directed IRA custodian's office to, okay, uh, my deal was I'm going to loan to you at a very reasonable percentage, no points, 8% interest, six months, but you're going to take my hand and you're going to walk me through every aspect of this investment vehicle that you're doing. And I did that with enough uh, older fellas and found some younger guys and ladies that um, were, were quite successful. And um, next thing you know, people are like, well, ask Keith, he knows about private money. And, you know, ask him, ask him. And, uh, and of course, the bad thing with that is everyone thinks that they hear private money. They think you're a broker, or a hard money lender. 
And no, it, it's my money. Shock. It's my <laughs> retirement, right? It's and I'll use another. I'm not using taking someone else's money. This is my money that I'm you know investing um, with other investors. So uh, that's that's how I got into this um, this sort of space. And the thing the, the thing I loved about it was I could I could be private lender. Now look, I'm not going to make the fifty thousand dollar wholesaler fee, right? You know those pie in the sky things that some people you know actually do, but uh, you can't count on as an investor. But I get nice consistent money every month. I would say the mailbox, but it goes back into my IRA at the custodian. But it, I get an email and there it is. Boom. The payments are there. Uh, it kept me relevant, kept me in the game, got me known as a lender. And then people started asking me to speak on it and my, my experience and you know what, what, what I suggest people um, avoid, which was pretty much everything I had done up until that point because I did it wrong, but got lucky. So um, you know, private lending allowed me to keep my day job, keep, uh, uh, my, my medical insurance for my family. Uh, and, uh, but I could still stay relevant in, uh, in, in my community and, and active as well. So, and that led to my partner and I forming asset REI. So it's just this kind of nice little, um, way I just fumbled, like you said, that balloon in the air, I just kind of fumbled my way, kept trying to take steps into, you know, even if it was the wrong direction, just keep moving forward. And, and now here I am. Cool, man. Well, I think it's it's so important that that you're able to find something that resonates with you, and you can take it as your own, and then make it your own in the way that people then look at you as a key person of influence. So, stumbling into the space of private money lending using your self-directed IRA has enabled you to be uh, that thought leader, and you know, within your little community that that you you serve. And I think that's really important. And it's a good reflection of where you come from because it shows that people do value your opinion. And all you did was just ask enough people with gray hair to see how the hell do you get involved with it and use your own money um, to start investing. And, and it's just a great little way to start for all those people out there who are listening who don't know how to get started in real estate investing, using a self-directed IRA at your company and do private money lending and, and learning along the way. So you mentioned before, Keith, some of the the failures. What what sort of advice do you have for people getting started in the private money lending world, particularly when it comes to your self directed IRA? So, all right, so you know, this is and this is where a lot of people have you know, we, and I had it too that that fear that leap. Uh, it, it, it's you know, this is your retirement, right? So you want to make sure that you know the first the first lesson or the first uh, pillar of private lending is is ROI, return of investment. So whether it's twenty thousand, a hundred thousand, or a million dollars, whatever you're lending out into whatever project. Your number one priority is to, re, to get that amount back. Then the second priority is, okay, how much interest? You know, what was my return on that investment? Um, so, it, you know, I come from a very conservative place of, of protection. And, and to use kind of a, uh, something that's in, the, uh, in, in our vernacular today, I, I, I like to lend and teach people how to lend from a place of lack, <laughs> right? Mm. Like, be safe. I mean, you are going to take risks, but if you start with a, a very conservative, conservative approach, that is going to give you... Um, the, the repetitions that you need. Uh, it's like going to the gym. If you want to build muscles, you got to lift weights. You got to do pushups, right? Right. So, but you want to do it safely. So the more conservative you are in the beginning, the more loans you're going to be able to make and the more opportunities you're going to be able to have to learn how to do it successfully and what to avoid without getting into that, into that danger. And especially with the self-directed IRA, because custodians can't give you advice. They can't tell you, I wouldn't invest in that or, oh, I would definitely invest in that. But I can, I'm an independent third party. And I can lay out my criteria. So anyhow, my criteria are return of investment, return on investment. And then the, the really big one, um, no second lien starting out. 
I don't care how big the returns can be. Stay away. First position liens only. And that means that after the county uh, and the municipalities can take the house back from taxes, it's the mortgage company that usually has that first, what they call the first lien. And that's where you want to be. And that's going to keep yourself um, that and then keeping your numbers, your loan to value and your uh, after repaired values and all those things, keeping those accurate and conservative is what's going to keep you safe. And it's, um, it's going to help you be there to, to live to loan another day. And how are you vetting different sponsors? Not sponsors, but I guess, guess different deals and operators who are, you know, I, I presume you're pretty much in the fix and flip world, right? Uh, yeah, a lot of it was. Yeah, beginning, um, uh, a lot of um, guys would, or people would come to me so, and hold a loan for uh, six to 12 months so they could season it with their commercial lender. Right, right. So, so how do you know to bet on that person and make sure that they have the experience so they're not going to, excuse my language, fuck it up? <laughs> No, no, it, it's it's a very good question, and it's it's one that um, that's why I started with with old older folks who had been in the uh, community. I started getting active in the community and 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 quickly finding out, you know, who are the major players, uh, and, and not to people that not the flash in the pan folks that come in and tell you how to make a million dollars. I'm talking people that haven't had a W two since the 1980s or 90s, right? They've got 20, 30, 40 years of real estate investing experience in this area, right? So that they know from an investor standpoint, um, what, you know, what's going on. So I, I just started asking questions, you know, who were people that serve on, you know, the board of RIAs or who owned RIAs um, was sometimes a good start uh, because I also, what I also like to do is I like to loan to people who have a reputational risk to where if they screw me over, I can, all I got to do is go to one meeting, open my mouth and I make life very hard for them. It keeps their skin in the game. And most people, if they're honest and with integrity, they accept that and they're like, they're fine with it, you know? Uh, and those are the types of folks that I want to lend to. Uh, I have loaned to people who are at their second RIA meeting and, you know, found lucked into a flip or whatever. Um, I have loaned to them and I've, I've made some mistakes, not vetting them, you know, properly. Uh, so, you know, and, and to answer your question, what, how am I vetting it now? It's, I want to see, I want to see experience, especially as we're, sort of pivoting into, or we have pivoted into uncertain times. Um, I don't want to loan a, a rookie, so to speak. That's what hard money lenders are for. I, you know, I, I, I realize that loaning, I'm, I'm taking a risk. I may lose money, but I'd rather lose money with somebody who's been around the block a few times than, um, you know, someone who just walks in and doesn't know what they don't know. Right. And I think it's, it's important to def define the difference between private money lending and hard, and hard money lending, Right. And, and, and so do you want to just quickly define the difference between the two? And I think you really hit it on the head before, but I just want to make sure the listeners are hearing it again. No, I, I appreciate that because there, I, I do draw a very a big distinction between a private money lender and then the hard money lender slash broker. Uh, let's, let's start with hard money lender, conventional hard money lender or a broker. A broker. They, are, they vet the deal. They match the borrower with uh, the lender. And they will use the uh, lender's money to the borrower, take the points, sometimes a spread on the interest rate, but mostly they're just there to do the points they get paid. The more loans they do, the more points they get, the more profitable their lending business is. But a hard money lender broker are, is truly a third person in a transaction between a lender and a borrower. In private lending, I'm using my own money. I'm not using anyone else's. Well, okay, I, starting off, I'm not using anyone else's money. I'm only using mine. I stop myself because I do partner with other people's IRAs uh, right. to do deals, but by and I, I'm not borrowing their money or I'm not doing it. I mean, I am doing a deal with their money, but they're, 
they have just as much or a percentage of the skin in the game as I do. Whereas the hard money lender, again, he's just there. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just want to, you know, I love hard money lenders. They, they, they have helped a lot of people become old and gray and experienced, <laughs> you know, that I can lend to them. So there's definitely, I, I love that about the hard money lenders and brokers, but private money, it's my money. It's, it's generally retirement. And the relationship that the lender has with the borrower is personal, right? So I have, um, I could call anyone that I have loans out with right now. You know, we, uh, they're on speed dial, right? Um, there's a personal relationship. Uh, let's say they're on my Christmas card list. You know, they got to do a good loan. They got to you know, honor their loan. Then they get on my Christmas card list. I'll put it that way. But the, the point being is it's, it's a private uh, relationship and it's not a commercial relationship like a, a lender, hard money lender or a broker would be. And that's what makes it uh, private. Like, uh, for example, uh, if Ray Sasser, Chris Funk, and my partner, uh, Landon, calls me right now and says, here's the deal, here's the numbers, I'll agree to it on the phone because I, I know and trust them and, and I know their business models and how they work. I'm still going to, you know, require all the, the same due diligence, you know, um, that I would, uh, you know, on any other loan. But at least there's a comfort level. They know, you know, I'm not going to go, I'll, you know, I'll do 60% of, uh, after repaired value all day long. But when it gets up in the 65 and whatnot on a flip, I get nervous. They also know that I'll do 75% if we're doing a, an owner finance, right? Or mm. wrapping an existing or something like that. So they know where I'm comfortable lending. I know their business models and that all kind of um, insulates me in one way um, from all the, the, the newbies. But um, it's also my education. It's my, it's my master's degree, so to speak. Is, right. is dealing with these folks and, and just learn and trying to soak up as much as I can, not just about real estate, but also, you know, office systems and processes and stuff like that. And just how to deal with your kid. I mean, <laughs> I've learned a lot from uh, real estate investors who had some pretty wild kids. So yeah, it's, um, it's not just money, it's, uh, but it's all around. I think it's just such a great way to get started for those people who are just so unsure where to get started in, in the world of real estate investing, taking a, a 401k, self, making it self-directed and then investing and, and then going ahead and learning as you go and you gain that experience by being on the lender side and looking over the shoulder of the person actually doing the fix and flip or, or doing the deal. So I think it's really, really powerful what you do. Tell me, how are you pivoting in the world of COVID today? And, and I know we spoke a little bit in the green room about your new mission in and around helping those who have lost their jobs or are struggling. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? No, absolutely. Yeah. I've, um, you know, like, you know, we've uh, been speaking for a while and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put together a course on, on, on lending and, um, you know, perfectionism is really creeping in. Uh, just another word for procrastination. But nonetheless, I am trying to put something out there to, to share with the world. But my, my mission is, uh, and you know, my family was affected with the COVID layoff and all this. And, uh, you know, everyone's kind of wondering, what are we doing? And, and I just sat down um, one day with a bottle of bourbon and figured out what I wanted to do <laughs> with uh, the next five years of my life. And um, it, it came real clear. I just, I, out of the 40 million people that got laid off or whatever it was during COVID, I want to take a million of them and show them how to be a successful private lender, take banks out of the equation and put some of the power of uh, wealth preservation and, and building wealth back in our, in our own hands. And um, that's my goal is to, is to, is to teach. I've always wanted to be a teacher. Um, and uh, fortunately more people want to learn about real estate and private lending than they do about philosophy or German. I can speak equally on all three, <laughs> but um and passionately on all three, but uh, I've really come to this uh, for a guy who couldn't even pass his uh, college algebra or not, I passed college algebra, but business uh, math the first time. 
who, who doesn't do numbers that this is a, this is a great space uh, to be in. And that's, like I said, my mission is to, is to create private lenders because it starts in your local area. And this is a great way to like, like just like me, I stayed relevant. I stayed in front of people, you know, um, for years and sort of became one, that expert, but two, during that time, I met in, uh, people and, and got into other investment opportunities, you know, uh, not just the single family fix and flip, but, you know, into multifamily. I just got into my first, we just closed my first commercial partnership about a month ago Bam. that I'm taking part in. So I'm, um, and that we pushed, we, we did during COVID uh, because the, the deals, the terms for us just kept getting sweeter and sweeter <laughs> um, with, with the bank and whatnot. And our, our payback period and our interest only period was extended. So, you know, just being in there, um, and, you know, using an old 401k, uh, and you don't have to use all of it, but just, you know, use a chunk of it. Uh, you can really, it, 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 you can get a lot of mileage out of that. And you don't have to start off wholesaling or figuring out what list to mail to, or, you know, do I only do three, two st- uh, brick house, you know, that you just find out what you're comfortable lending, you know, if, is it a fix and flip or is it, you know, maybe a, a three-year owner finance, um, my best bet or my, my recommendation, anyone who wants to get into it right now and doesn't really know is go find a hard money lender. Go, you know, get on these Zoom calls now because we're not having Ria's face to face, but find out who the hard money lenders are in your area. You probably already know. Call them up and say, hey, like, I've got X amount. I'd like to start doing some private lending. You know, are you taking lenders? Can you match it up with somebody? And that way you have a third party whose job it is to vet loans and deals all day long to look at it. Right. doesn't mean they're going to, it's going to be a hundred percent success rate, hmm. but it's going to be a hundred percent better of what a rookie coming in would be. Right. You right. know, somebody has got right. some experience and that's, um, that's a very, very powerful, powerful way. And even if I can just tell people to, to do that, you know, and just start that ball rolling for them and to be, you know, I, I don't need all million of them to pay me. I just want a million. <laughs> I'd like it. Don't get me wrong, but I just want to get, I just want to have it, you know, to the point where people like we don't need banks, hmm. you know, and, um, and we can just use each other, you know, uh, and, and, you know, we still vet, we still do our due diligence, but, you know, I don't care how digital we get deals are still done with handshakes as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. Yes. No, I completely agree. I think it's very, real estate is inherently mano a mano, you know, you know, very person to person contact. And uh, it's, people want to touch and feel the deal. People want to touch and feel the sponsor. People want to touch and feel um, what you're going to do with their money. And, and ultimately, the reason is because as humans, we invest in the person first and foremost, not necessarily the deal. Like the deal is the cherry on top, if that makes sense. Like they want to trust you that you're going to know what they're going to do with their money. And if things go wrong, which they sometimes do, they've got your back and they're willing to dip into their pocket if they have to and, and make you whole. So uh, I think it's it's super important to emphasize that because it is, it is really important in today's world. Integrity, uh, trust and transparency and being down to earth and approachable in a way that people can trust you so they can invest in you in the long term. So, so um, Keith, what is the biggest piece of advice you can give to someone starting out? Like you just, uh, you just told them to go find a hard money lender, but how do you know you're going to deal with the right one? <laughs> like, cause that's not, not all hard money lenders are made the same. True. No, you want, uh, again, you know, let's, let's look for gray hair and, and not so much in the, in the person, but look for how long has that company been around? Mm. Right. So uh, down here in Houston, we have some that are owned um, by individuals in the community. And it's very easy to ask, you know, who'd you use for your flip? You know, what did you like about using them? What did you not like about using them? And anytime I found that um, the complaint was, you know, they were they were picky on, on the inspections before they would release draws. Um, 
that is, I was like, oh, really? Oh, that's, that's terrible for you. Uh, who was that? <laughs> I want to know who, who is, you know, who's has that level of detail in their, in their business plan model, you know, and that's, and that's who, so yeah, if, if I'm going to say I'm, I'm not in Houston, I'm in, you know, wherever, uh, I would definitely just ask around and, and not do like I did and just sit on the back wall for years and years, just get out there. Um, you know, don't say you're a private money lender. You're looking into it, right? Because if you tell people you're a private money, they're going to ask you how much your terms, blah, blah. Right. Tell them you want to learn, right? And you want to, you want to loan to a hard money lender. Um, is one way, but the other way is find out people who have used them for the fix and flips or, you know, their acquisition loans and turned them into a you know, permanent financing or whatever. Um, look for those people that have been in your community for a good long while. And I always suggest people start off in their backyard. Yes. Mm. You know, I, I could loan in California and Florida and, you know, all these places. And I will, I'm, I'm getting there, but as um, you know, since I have taken on this kind of this, the responsibility of a podcast, I want to make sure I've got everything nailed down in, under Texas law first before I start, um, you know, telling telling people how to deal with other with other states but there's plenty of opportunity in your backyard wherever you live even if you're in the middle of nowhere idaho okay maybe not nowhere idaho but <laughs> if you're near a metroplex there's plenty um there are gonna be plenty of of hard money lenders and also investors who have used them to um to, to query and to you know find out um starting you know and you, you, the better the question obviously the better the answer so you know in the beginning you're probably you're not going to know what to ask just start the conversation you know and then you know, get a little more in depth as to, you know, were they easy to work with? You know, did they do as they, well, my big thing is, did the hard money lender do as they said they would, you know, mm -hmm. did they honor the contract like any borrower and those that do, you know, um, they go up in my esteem and, and those are the ones that, um, that I work with. Awesome. No, I think the rears, which I've harped on a lot about on this show and on other people's shows, there's so much availability to education here in the United States and take it from me coming from Australia there ain't the system set up like the rears are here in the US. Across major metroplexes, MSAs, you will find one. And through what you just said before, being confident in your backyard and having your community around you, that is what the rears do. And I, I, you know, I'm not being paid by the Real Estate Investment Association, but that was such a great launching pad for me. And the wealth of knowledge you can find within those rooms is super valuable to then go on and start taking action. And don't, as you said, don't be that guy against the back wall. Uh, talk to people and get there and start interacting with the people who are in the local community doing deals. And that's the most important part because um, without those people surrounding you, you will not know where to start and you will not know how to be successful. So I think really, really good piece of advice. Um, Keith, coming into the end of 2020, what are you, what are you focusing on right now? That's a very good question. Um, I am I actually, I'm, I'm sort of on the sidelines right now. I've, I've got some loans that have come due that um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to cash right now. I, I um, you, you can never time the market, right? Well, back in late March, I, I, I made a hell of a move on the stock market. <laughs> so far, so good. So I, I'm waiting to see what happens with this next round of, of funding. It's at some point, um, the evictions and the, uh, the foreclosures will come back. And I'm, I'm very interested to see where the economy and the market's going to be when that happens. Um, I, you know, I honestly, I oscillate between everybody just chill out. It's going to be fine. Uh, one minute and the next minute, um, I do want to run down my street and tell everyone we're all going to die. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of oscillate in between these, these extremes. So in trying to stay in the middle, um, I'm going ultra conservative right now. And um, I'm looking at deals. So 
I've turned two down recently. Uh, one, because I'm holding money, uh, but I did look at them. And, and, if, and if they were good enough, I was going to, I was, I, I would have loaned on them or lent on them. But when I say good enough is for me in a, in a time of uncertainty, the 70% ARV all in, you know, this doesn't work because in a year from now, we could be looking at, uh, you know, house pricing could be down 15%. Mm-hmm. Right. So what does that do to that 70% ARV? It lowers it down. You know, if somebody comes to me with uh, a deal right now, all in, in, you know, under 50%, I'll look at it. And, and you know, depending, you know, if it's a quick flip or, you know, the, the duration of it, uh, if, if it's got great numbers, I'll look at it and consider it all day long. Uh, but if it's quote unquote, the conventional, you know, um, if it's been, a, if, let me put it this way, if it's a daisy chain wholesale deal, don't even bother calling me. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, it's not going to, the numbers have got to be just beautiful for me to, for me to loan my retirement money out on them right now. Um, you know, if it's that good of a deal, then a hard money lender will, will, will snag it up. Right, 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 right. And I think it's, 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 it's super important to have those sliding scales in uncertain times. So you can still be active but it forces these operators and, and deal finders to make sure they're finding a, a crack and deal, right? So it's super, super important. Um, Keith, we come to the end of the show, and I know you're, as you said in the beginning, you're an avid listener. Um, we're going to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? <laughs> no, because I, I still don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, let's start with the first one. What is your daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? I get up... Um I try, I try to get up every morning. And when I put my feet on the floor, I, I try to say thank you for the day mm-hmm. three times with full and full thanks. I find that when I wake up in the morning, I'm mentally I tend to be on edge, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And my morning is very important. My day is di- dictated by how my morning goes. So I get up and I, I thank it, uh, the, thank the day. And then I immediately write down um, my uh, five things I'm grateful for. Uh, I have a little app on the phone. I put down my gratitude. Um, then I, I, I list my goals uh, and they've been the same uh, four goals for, uh, you know, for a while. I actually launched Private Lender Academy at some point, <laughs> but uh, that's not smart and specific yet. But those two, um, those two things are the, are the really big thing is just, is just to be thankful and grateful. Um, and then I go get my coffee, um, go outside. I'm, I'm old school. I've already given my age. I was born in the Atari and Nintendo generation. So I still prefer to read my Wall Street Journal um, with paper. So I go out to my driveway, get my paper, have my coffee, and I read the paper and a book for 30 minutes. Uh, at that point, then I can, uh, if my kids are up, I can put out a family fire. Or then at that point, I can look at my email and say, okay, how am I going to construct my day? Whereas I found if I wake up looking at emails, it just confuses me and my productivity goes to crap. And my, I usually, I'm usually in a bad mood at the end of the day, which um, that does bring in the bourbon. So I found that, you know, if I start my day proper um, and that's it, and with anything, it's, it's finances, it's dealing with my kids or, you know, families or business, whatever. Um, starting the morning off is, is such an important thing. 100%, man. I completely agree. It's just... Getting into that habit of waking up and getting straight on the phone or straight on the email is just gives you that sense of anxiety all the time. And taking that that time in the morning to wake up, have a bit of self-reflection, have some time to yourself, reading physical things, not online on the phone, away from screens. And and again, just being, you know, the, the gratitude and the thankfulness around 
what you you have in your life is is super super important. Uh, question number two: Who is the most influential person in your career to date? This is going to be interesting because um, it falls to two people, uh, and one one is the the quick easy answer: my dad. Mm-hmm. The other one is Neil Peart, the uh, drummer lyricist from Rush, who passed away this January. Hmm. Oh, like I said, I'm almost 50. And so I've, I've looked back on a couple of things and I realized that most of the stress and anxiety in my life is caused by me, uh, not by outside. There are outside influences, but the stress is definitely caused by me. Um, and, you know, so in my career, you know, the work ethic that my dad gave, you know, and, and he was a hard ass on me, um, you know, and all the things that a father teaches his son. But the, the drummer from Rush, because... Um, man, I've, I've talked about this on, on other shows, but he, all three of those musicians were just badasses, and I wanted to be a drummer. And the thing I liked about him was I saw in an interview very early on where he admitted at the height of his career that he was never a confident player. Hmm. After thousands of concerts, um, headlining thousands of concerts, he said he might be you know, a showman, he might overplay, you know, he might ham it up every now and again behind the kit, but he was never confident. And I'm thinking this guy is the best rock and roll drummer. I mean, look, the subjective, I know, but he's in the top five, arguably for the, you know, the last quarter of the 20th century. And he, he didn't have confidence every night that he went out there, you know, like that he was mm. the best one mm. uh, when it came to fame, he said, uh, he never understood why people wanted to meet, um, their idols because he's a very shy person. And people that come up and gush on him made him embarrassed. Uh, and a lot of fit folks, how can a rock and roll artist be that way? But he, he very much was, he's very private. But the one thing I saw in an interview, he said that was the best that harkens back to what my dad said growing up was Neil said, I never wanted to be famous. I just wanted to be good. Mm. And my dad always told me, he goes, master the subject, your grades will come master the business. The money will come. Right. And so from that, you know, don't have money as your focus, you know, focus on, doing what, what it is you're going to do and doing it well. And um, I mean, I could go on a lot more between sure. those two guys. But it, it, sounds, it sounds deep, mate. I love it. Yeah, no, it's, I, it, Neil Peart's the reason why I have a, a degree in philosophy. You know, mm. a, a rock drummer who grew, dropped out of high school, right? Uh, anyway, yeah, that's, I'll, let's, I'm going to let that nugget sit there for, uh, for our audience. Uh, but please go check it out. Unfortunately, you can't see Rush live anymore, but um, they are the greatest band to ever live. Sorry, Beatles. Anyway. <laughs> uh, you, you bring up a really good point of just like the self-doubt and even rock stars have self-doubt and you know your, your, your statement there never want to be famous I just want to be good is um, that's a pretty pretty powerful statement so gonna let that 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 flow over everyone listening to the show today uh, question number three is what's the most Im- influential tool in your business when I say tool it could be a piece of software it could be a hardware like your phone or a diary what is it a gut Listen, learning to listen to your gut is a, is a completely different. Well, that, that's, that's a whole course in and of itself. And I think somebody <laughs> named Jim Quick might be able to do that or something. But yeah, no, it's for me, it's, um, it, it all started. Um, I, was, uh, I, I was a collector of, of um, gadgets, so to speak, right? So if there was a wholesaling calculator available uh, in Excel or whatever, you know, I, I used to use all of those things uh, as I thought they were the greatest tools because they, they, you know, they made things efficient. They made processes quicker. And then I thought the other people um, that I learned from were the greatest tools and they are, but at the end of the day, and you know, once anyone who, you know, um, you know, I'll just wait, are you in your forties yet, Reed? 
No, I'm not. Okay, okay. That's just wait. <laughs> All right. All right. But the, the, the day you realize, like, yeah, I need glasses and that hair up there on my head's never coming back. You, you start to look at things a little different. And um, <laughs> and <laughs> so so true. But and now it's it's um, I still have the same feelings of anxiety and nervousness when I go look at a deal as I did back the first time I went with somebody to a house and looked at it. It's just now, like you said, learning to listen to your gut. It's 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 knowing what is um, an unfounded fear, and what's something that needs more investigation. And mm. so for for me, that has been, I say my gut because my gut is the first thing that puts no or yes into my head, right? So once I make that decision, and that's before you've even made that, like, yep. it's already told you, and your brain hasn't even registered yet. Yep. Right. Yeah. So it's super, it's super powerful. And, and, and so to, for me to, to get back to your point earlier, my gut instinct tells me what jockey to bet on. Mm. Right. So like you said, the, the property is, is, is the icing on the cake or the cherry on top. If it's a good deal, you know, it's that jockey, it's that, that operator, that flipper, you know, that my gut is investing with everything else. My brain invests with. Right. Right. I love it. And this sort of segues into question number four, which is what has been the biggest failure in your career? In one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career? And what did you learn from that failure? Not thinking I was worth it. Not thinking I had it. And it's something I still fight with. Self-doubt. It's self-doubt. We all have it. I, what, look, I'm a, I'm a private money lender. Why, why, you know, a few years ago, people are like, do you want to speak? I'm like, why would I want to do that? You know, and, and people are clamoring, I'll get on stage, I'll get on stage. You know? <laughs> and I was like, what? No, it's just something that I do, you know, and it wasn't until I started explaining it to people in the corporate job and whatnot, and they, they started taking an interest. And then, you know, the, 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 real, the uh, real estate investors, you know, taking an interest into, uh, into it and just, you know, doing it. So it, for me, it was um, knowing that, yeah, I could lose money, but I had to take a leap. Because I, 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 told, I made a promise to myself and I wasn't in a cubicle. I actually had an office, but I made a promise to myself. And I realized that I was like, I could sit here for the next 25 years and ride this out. And that's the most scared I've ever been in my life. <laughs> you know, just going on cruise control. Right. And right. so then that was the push. Like, okay, I want to try this. I'm going, this is different. It's new. This is not stocks. It's not bonds, you know? The fear of regret. Yeah. Is what, yeah. 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 Or fear, fear, the fear of regret and everything. So I just, I, you know what? I've, I've got to take a leap. And, um, you know, I just finally pushed myself, you know, I, I, I didn't bet the farm, you know, mm -hmm. I, I didn't bet all my money, but I bet a bit more than I should have. I can say, I can tell you that, <laughs> but yeah, I, I say bet. It's not betting. If you do, if you do it right, it's not betting. Um, no, it's not, it's not no. gambling, but that's, I use the betting analogy with a jockey and the horse. Um, yeah, sure. No, understood. And I think it's, it's also important to realize the self-doubt comes from lack of self-worth and knowing that you have something you are standing on a mountain of value to, to provide value to others. And thus people are asking to come on stage and speak and that would put you outside your comfort zone. And so I think I can completely hear, hear you and have been there when people do that, but it, it's also then nearly a drug because you realize with teaching others, you can become more knowledgeable in your craft and thus continue to snowball down of this knowledge train and, and, and become more self-aware and become more, grounded and, and, and fight the demons within the old mind in order to be more and more successful. And I think that is, it's just, it, it's a Pandora's box once you start uh, unraveling it. And it, it's, it's an incredible journey because then you start to learn to enjoy the journey rather than always looking to what's going to happen tomorrow. What's going to happen in 10 years? You know, you know what I mean? So I, I have an analogy. This is like, re, this is like refurbishing a 200 year old house. 
you think it's going to be 150 grand to rehab it, right? But as soon as you tear into it, well, nope, hurdle number one, let's get over that. Nope, hurdle number two has nothing to do with the house. It's just getting through the hurdles, right? And and if you teach it, you learn it twice, Mm -hmm. right? So. Mm -hmm. I love it. Love it. Mate, last question. Where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? PrivateLenderPodcast.com is the best place there. You can get um, little cheat sheets, amortizations tables if you sign up. Um, the, like you said, the podcast is on iTunes, Google Podcast, anywhere. Uh, you, know, you, you can listen to a podcast. I believe it's on uh, Spotify now. And, I'm, and I've, I've just got to get it confirmed that it's on, um, get it on iHeartRadio. But um, awesome. yeah, anywhere you listen and the private lender podcast.com. And if you have any questions, uh, you know, I, I'm a one man shop. I, I still answer my own emails about three months late, but send me uh, an email at info at private lender podcast.com. Awesome, brother. Well, look, been a super fun conversation with you. I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. I think the first thing that I took away from today's show was idle money doesn't grow. And knowing that you're, there is idle money sitting in your account somewhere if you're in a professional gig or a corporate gig where you have a 401k, and that can be the stepping stone to getting started in the real estate space by being a private money lender. I also loved how we, we defined the difference between hard money and private money lending because it is your own money. It is your self-directed IRA. It is your retirement money. So you're going to be pretty bloody frugal with it and, and understanding what you want to invest in, what you don't want to invest in. And I think at the end of the day, you know, your your self-awareness and it seems to be to me after you know, a couple of times of chatting with you that you have grown as a human by pushing your barriers, by understanding you are standing on a mountain of value and thus teaching others about the benefits of what you do has helped you grow as a human. And I think that's as an, as an entrepreneur and as a leader and probably as a father, um, so, so well done, <laughs> but uh, in saying that, uh, did I leave anything out? No, no, uh, no, thank you. I mean, we, you know, it's true. We, we only grow when we're, we're uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, learning, learning to be comfortable, becoming uncomfortable and staying uncomfortable is something I struggle with, but it, I will say it has, um, it hasn't paid me financial dividends, but let me just say with mental health, um, and, and everything else and just, you know, overall outlook on life, it pays tremendous dividends. Right. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, yeah, get uncomfortable. I mean, if you know, you're, if you're, your audience are listening, they've, they've already, you're, they're already halfway there, you know, <laughs> just, just by listening to these podcasts. So exactly. That's a, exactly. that's, that's a good thing. And no, I, I, and I've like, the, like, again, the pleasure has been all mine. I've really enjoyed this. Um, and yeah, I mean, thanks for, uh, thanks for the interview swap, man. I really do appreciate it. Hey man, my pleasure. Right back at you. I want to thank you again for jumping on the show. Enjoy the rest of your week. Remember to wash your hands and we'll catch up very, very soon. Sounds good, man. You take care. Well, they have another cracking episode jam back with some incredible advice from Keith and just about his humbleness and down-to-earth ability to share his vulnerabilities with us in and around how he's created his business and really created something from nothing through his local community, through local rears, and understanding that he is really standing on a mountain of value to provide to others so they can learn. And having a new mission in the COVID space of trying to help a million people unemployed use their self-directed IRAs in order to become private money lenders. So really, really powerful stuff. If you do have any questions for Keith, make sure you do go check out his podcast. It's all over iTunes um, and all the show notes from today's show will be on my website as well. I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. And we're going to do it all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.